This is the Milo Sweet Podcast, where you'll learn to get unstuck. Start now. Conquer life's challenges by learning to do difficult. Find quick and clever ways to overcome. Wait, did you think life was going to be easy? Remember, all of your excuses are now dead to me. Let's get started. Guess what time it is? It's time for you to hit the subscribe button and find one, just one person that you think will benefit from this. But if you're feeling a little like generous, right? Or you're super um, free with your time right now, probably doing nothing because you're listening to this. Um, Well, maybe if you're doing something, actually just make yourself free right now. Hit subscribe. What are you waiting for? Hit it. Come on. Hit subscribe. So welcome to the Milo Sweet Podcast, Dwight. Thank you so much for joining me. Let's hear a little bit about yourself. Well, I'm, as you can hear from my accent, an Australian, and I'm living in <laughs> Germany. Um, I've been living here now for nearly 20 years. Um, the reason why I came out here, my mother is uh, was German. She naturalized to Australian before I was born. But uh, I've always had a strong connection to the to the country. My father was Polish. That's why my surname is Stephen Bonietzki. And uh, so I've had a contact with Europe ever since I was a little boy. And um, I grew up in the Apollo era. I remember vividly watching Apollo 17 on television and my father taking me outside and pointing to the moon and asking me if I could see the astronauts on there. And of course, you know, I lied and said I could, even though I just saw the moon. <laughs> Uh, not forgetting as well, December 1972 <laughs> is summertime. Uh, you know, that was the middle of summer for us. So it was beautiful and warm outside. That much I remember as well. And ever since that point, I was bitten by the bug. You know, I loved Lost in Space. I used to watch Star Trek. And of course, then in 77, Star Wars came along and that changed my whole world. And uh, and then in my 20s, when I saw the uh, the 20th anniversary broadcast of Apollo 11, that's when the real space bug hit. And mm. it's been it's been a learning curve exponentially ever since then. What's the most fascinating thing that you learned? The management behind NASA in the golden era, you know, during Mercury, Gemini, Apollo, and then subsequently Skylab and up to the shuttle development, the focused energy of everybody, it's just every single possible outcome. For example, they just had the uh, Apollo 13 50th anniversary. And when you hear how they worked and got this problem sorted out, I I just sit there and always shake my head. And I know the story already 50 million times over. And every time I watch the movie, I just sit there and I go, uh, if a lot of businesses could run the businesses with that much focus and dedication like NASA could, um, I think the world would be a better place. Oh my gosh, I absolutely agree. I was looking at how you explained searching for Skylab and I thought, this mindset is super important for right now. With everything that we're going through, we, we definitely need to take information that is going to exercise our brains, use those muscles to challenge us to overcome. So tell me about Skylab, uh, Skylab searching for Skylab. How did this all come about? I know that you started a Kickstarter, right? 
Correct, correct. Well, it actually goes right back to 1979. That was the very first time that I can remember hearing about Skylab. And uh, going to school in Sydney, there was a little poster in the principal's window which mentioned Skylab is going to crash and, and possibly in Australia. And I was like, oh, what's Skylab all about? And, of course, <laughs> in, in the days leading up to, to the impact, there was the media frenzy. Everybody in the US, in Canada, in, in Europe were paranoid that Skylab was going to crash on their heads. And uh, so it just went berserk in, in the, the middle of 1979. Now, I'll have to explain a little bit what, what Skylab is. And that was mm -hmm. America's first space station. And it was built on modified Apollo technology. And it originally came under the banner Apollo Applications Project. And that was devised by George Lowe, who was... Uh, with NASA, who thought after the moon landing program had finished, if they did not have another program to jump to, all that knowledge and, and uh, effort in getting the Apollo moon rockets will be lost. So they came yeah. up with a plan to develop a space station, which could then be carried aboard a either Saturn 1B, which was the smaller version of the Saturn V rocket, or indeed the Saturn V rocket, which was the same one that launched all the Apollo missions to the moon. And uh, in May of 1973, we're coming very close to the anniversary, they launched Skylab unmanned, and, and forgive the, uh, the sexist terminology, it seems to be uh, ingrained in, <laughs> in discussion about space that you, you just say manned missions and everyone says it and they've tried to find alternatives, it just doesn't work, so <laughs> manned it is. <laughs> um, the... the uh, and that was supposed to be up there for three, possibly four missions of which three crews or four crews would be sent up there for long duration to study the Earth, to study the solar system and study the sun. The first mission was supposed to launch the day after the unmanned space station, but upon launch, the thermal insulation shield or the, the um, micrometeoroid shield which doubled as thermal insulation, was ripped off due to a miscalculation and design error of the spacecraft, which damaged the spacecraft. In fact, a compound of problems nearly resulted in the rocket exploding approximately 67 seconds after launch. The micrometeoroid shield was ripped off 64 seconds after launch, plus minus of one second. And that threw the entire project into turmoil, into turmoil. And that was a $2.2 billion program in 1973 dollars. Wow. So they had to come up really quickly with a solution to fix the space station in order to have that program still running. And there is still debate to this day whether or not NASA would have survived that catastrophe had the space station not been salvageable. Because at that point, Congress was withdrawing funding to NASA and they were running on a shoestring budget. And especially with Skylab, it was lateral thinking. It wasn't, we've got a, a, an unlimited check and we can do whatever we want. No, they had to plan this very, very carefully. Suddenly, there was the uh, problem which meant the spacecraft was overheating and they needed to solve that very quickly because there was food on board, there was photographic uh, equipment, uh, um, negatives and so forth that needed to be saved. So they devised a plan within 11 days to salvage the spacecraft. 
Now, I can go into that in extreme detail, which will bore the pants off everybody who's listening. I'll just, <laughs> I'll just say, had they not rescued Skylab, it would have been dire for NASA. It would have been a lot of money lost, and uh, they needed to get the uh, dedication down uh, to, to resolving the program. They developed a parasol system that doubled up as a micrometeoroid shield. That was developed by a gentleman named Jack Kinsler, whose widow we, we interviewed and his son. And it was a team effort without a doubt how this thing came about. All right, that's another episode in the books. Hello? Hello? I said, I said it's over. Why are you still listening? Like, seriously, the episode is over. If you're still listening right now, you know what? You're probably a chronic procrastinator. Guess what? I'm still listening to you. Come on, for real, seriously. We gotta go do something productive. No, like, for real. No, for real, for real. Okay, you can keep listening. <laughs>